Hello and welcome to the 27th episode of the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. Welcome back if you have been following along with us. If you are new here, get settled, get relaxed, tune in for the previous episodes as well. This is the podcast where we highlight, amplify, and document the journeys of Black lactation professionals. I am Erica Dutley, your host. I'm an IBCLC, currently in private practice, and I own Enrich Lactation, which is based up in Northern Indiana. Um, and this guest this week, I mean, I joke with her in the interview that she did a 170, not quite a 180, with a career change. So if you are a person that feels like you're settled, you're comfortable, you have the dream job um, that you have been planning for most of your life, and then something changes and you're starting to think that maybe lactation may be the field choice for you, there's a way to pivot over. So tune into this episode where I interview today's colleague, Tanise Horge. Tanise Horge is the president and CEO of Mother's Magical Milk, a full service lactation firm with a donor milk dispensary. Having left her corporate engineering and program management career of 18 years, Tanise followed her passion of the healing role human milk plays in our current health crisis and is an advocate for normalizing breastfeeding through the education of the benefits and management of breastfeeding. She is an international board-certified lactation consultant residing and serving in the Southern Dallas-Fort Worth area. Tanise, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Ever since we met at the USLCA conference, I was like, yep, she needs to get into my rotation. <laughs> oh, yes. I am a big fan, so I'm honored to be here today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So with that said, you probably realize the first question I'm going to ask is I always like to look back to kind of get a sense of um, the path into the mm -hmm. field of lactation. So share with us some glimpse of pre-lactation to me. It's like when you graduated high school, what was on the agenda for what you wanted to be? <laughs> it's a funny story. So when I graduated high school, I for sure wanted to be a computer engineer, hands down. Um, I had the opportunity to attend a summer bridge program for incoming engineering students at Arizona State University, where I got my undergrad, and it totally changed my mind. Um, I switched majors uh, my freshman year and became an industrial engineer. So I spent the last 18 years of my life in um, engineering and manufacturing. Um, I've had the opportunity to travel the globe on uh, my job's dime, which has been amazing. Um, but my pre-lactation uh, career had nothing to do with um, lactation, obviously, or anything in the health sciences. So I spent the majority of my um, career in manufacturing, um, engineering, uh, Lean Six Sigma, and uh, lastly, program management. You just said a lot of things. I don't know what's <laughs> but they sound <laughs> You know, it it allowed me the opportunity to see um, a lot of things, meet a lot of people, and travel a lot of places. So definitely would not trade that experience for the world. Yeah, and I have to say that even being around you at the conference, just like your, I don't know if it's your presence, your energy, your vibe, it's just just translate into being very confident and comfortable around a lot of different people. And it makes sense now with that hindsight of you traveling and networking and those different things I imagine that you do with that type of engineering career. So um, thank you. I totally, um, I get intimidated, especially at the USLCA conference. So I set for the exam last March. And so had recently um, 
knew that I was officially an IBCLC. So just being around so many heavy hitters in this new space, um, I wouldn't say that confidence is what I was feeling, but I'm glad that that's what was, <laughs> that was what was portrayed. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And I felt the same way. I felt very, number one, just being in large crowds in general, but mm -hmm. then being around people that are your peers and your colleagues and people that you know, you Googled and their name pops up and it's like, now I can reach out and you want to hug me, you know my name, this is very <laughs> <laughs> But yes, it was, I was very grateful to have that experience to be around you all because it, it really just kind of refilled my cup and mm -hmm. just provided some confirmation that I was on the right path as far as like the direction of life. Yes, I can relate. <laughs> So I'm curious if any of those skills for the 18 years that you kind of worked in that field, if you felt that any of them were transferable into the field of lactation. Absolutely. So, so much in counseling, <clears throat> I think being a Black female engineer uh, working in manufacturing, as you can imagine, I was often the only. Um, but you had to be able to discuss things in a way that people believe what you were saying and wanted to get on board with whatever it is that you were leading. And I think those skills are absolutely transferable when it comes to working with families like we do in such a vulnerable point in their lives. Um, so being able to come with facts um, and being able to present them in a way that that family can accept that and also being there to um, support and um, guide them in what their chosen um, <clears throat> kind of way that they want to feed their their children. Um, additionally, because I have such a um, an engineering background, data, science, um, evidence, facts is very, very much important to me. Um, so I'm never going to lead with, I believe, or I feel, um, versus this is what the facts are, this is what um, the studies have shown, um, which I think my clientele really can appreciate. Yeah, and I, I think that pretty much sums up what we should be doing as far as our work is yes we have all the information and we want to lean into that first but we have to be able to provide it in a palatable way that's going to translate into trust and for mm -hmm. you know for parents that's that's huge right they see these credentials and some automatically have trust in us and others we have to earn that trust right so we Very have true. to be able to portray that we know what the heck we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> And so I'm curious what kind of sparked the pivot to get into this land of lactation. You mentioned that you sat um, in March and recently became an IBCLC. So what was your point of entry into learning about the field in general? So I would have to say the birth of my uh, first child. So my daughter came at 31 weeks um, and she spent about six weeks in the NICU. We had amazing um, lactation support. I didn't know that she was an IBCLC at the time, but she, I told her I wanted to breastfeed and she was like, all right, that's going to be what our goal is. And we, we worked on it. And when uh, my daughter came home from the hospital, um, she was feeding at the breast about 80% of the time. We had a nipple shield that we were weeding off. So a couple of crutches, but we got to that point. Um, I remember having, I mean, the best way to say it is a confrontation with her NICU doctors in the hospital. I was at the hospital every day, twice a day, like clockwork, feeding her, changing her diapers, pumping in the mother's room that they had there, but just, you know, wanting to be there for my child. And one day I came in and there was formula at her little, um, in the NICU, like she had a little table table there. And I was like, well, hmm, interesting. Not sure why this is here. And when I asked about it, the nurses kind of diverted eye contact <laughs> and basically told me to have a discussion with a pediatrician. And there was um, two pediatricians. And the first one completely blew me off. 
just was like, you know, just uh, speak with the other pediatrician. I basically don't have time to speak with you. I said, okay. So I came back that evening, nine o'clock. But by this point, the engineering in me have done all this research on fortified uh, breast, milk, breast milk, human milk, uh, formulas, the types of formulas, the protein and formulas. Like I did a whole thesis, um, came back and um, the IBCLC at the time knew that I was, I was not happy. And she had also uh, gathered some information for me to have on my side. So I am feeding my child in the NICU and I am naked from the waist up and they have like some little space dividers uh, around her little, um, her little pod where I was feeding her. The second pediatrician like bulldozes in, no greetings. And he's just like, I understand that you have an issue with us giving your daughter formula, blah, blah, blah. He rants and raves for about seven minutes, mind you. My breasts are exposed. My newborn child is in my, um, you know, at my breast and I'm heated, but this was not the time to be heated. Um, so I appear cool, calm and collective. And I, you know, I basically told him, I understand that you have um, 17 other uh, babies that you have to tend to here. And his main reasoning was he has statistics that he has to meet for the hospital and he needs to fatten my child up to release her. And so I'm like, you know what? She's not cattle. Uh, she is growing on her own growth curve. She's doing all the things that she needs to do. I think that we just need to give her some time to mature um, as she has been. And I, the last thing I want to do is um, fight with the folks that I have to leave my daughter here with. I don't want to be argumentative. I want us to work as a team. I'm an engineering by trade. My husband is an IT professional. Like We love data. We want to be able to work together in every aspect that it relates to her. If he would have told me that, you know, ma'am, if you, if she was still in your room, she'd be getting vitamin A and mineral this. Um, I would have been like, absolutely. If the formula is going to give that to her, put her on an IV, give it to her. I need her to be the absolute best. But if you just want to fatten her up yeah. so that you can discharge her, that doesn't work well with me. So in general, I had really good lactation support, especially from the nurses in the hospital. But what I realized was I was the exception and not the rule. Um, that discussion with him, I, I, was, I was calm. I came with him with facts. Um, he totally changed his, uh, his demeanor. Mm -hmm. But why did it have to get to that point? And what if I wasn't armed with those things? How would myself and my daughter have been treated? So that was the spark. I think that really made me understand the importance of human milk and the relationship and then having to advocate for my daughter. I remember saying that I was um, <laughs> part mama bear and part um, advocate for her because she couldn't do that for herself. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm just over here like shaking with rage. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I stated I was cool as a cucumber in the NICU, but by the time I was in the parking lot, I was a complete and utter mess. I mean, I was bald, like the big, heavy, snotty yeah. cry. Um, but I couldn't do that in front of him. I could not let him see how angry and hurt. And I didn't want to leave her there. Like, I wanted to pack up my child and leave, and I couldn't. Um, I couldn't because she still needed care. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was not the best of times. Yeah, and, and share with us around like the year that that occurred. That was 2017. 17, yeah. And so when, when people kind of describe us having like this shift in this more like patient-centered care and, you know, being pro-breastfeeding and wondering why we still have to kind of advocate and push so hard, it's because it's 
improving, but not at the rate that I feel like people perceive it to be. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. Yeah. So with that in mind, 20, 2017, you have your daughter in the NICU, you have fantastic lactation support, which is amazing. At what point did you do a deep dive to kind of learn that this is a field and start to kind of toy with the idea of stepping away from the profession that you've been in for over a decade? I'm sure at that point, um, when did that start to shift? So really 2020, I mean, the pandemic brought about so many blessings in disguise. Um, so when I had my daughter in 2017, I basically had my dream job. I had the corner office, I had the title, I had the pay. Um, but none of that really mattered now that I was a mother and a mother um, an, of a NICU graduate. Life changed. My priorities were different. So trudging through the, you know, the next two and a half, three years, the pandemic comes, everything slows down. And I had everything fatigue. I had corporate fatigue. I had um, COVID fatigue. I had being in my house fatigue. Um, and, you know, I really was upset with everybody because I was unhappy. Um, I, at the time, felt that my husband and my my career, my job, it was their responsibility to make me happy. And um, obviously, um, that is incorrect. Um, I am in control of my happiness. Um, and once I kind of accepted that, I said, you know, God, I really want to be doing something that I'm supposed to be doing. I have all of these uh, skill sets, things that I think I bring to the world, and I want to be able to be in a place where I can utilize them. After spending so much time in corporate America, you typically have these reviews every year. So they tell you the two or three things that you're great at and maybe the five or six things that you're not so great at. And I, yeah, I remember getting to a point like, why would I ever focus on the things that I'm not good at? Like, why wouldn't I just thrive in the things that I am good at? Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted to do. And I knew at that moment I wanted to help families um, uh, nurture and feed their children. I remember reaching out, uh, she was a black IBCLC here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I live um, for advice. It was super confusing online. Um, a CLC, a CBS, a lactation, uh, expert, specialist, educator, IBCLC. Like I had no idea what was what. I specifically asked her about becoming a lactation consultant um, and she sent me the CLC route, which at the time I was like, oh, well, this is, this is all I need to do is become a lactation consultant. Boom. It's just, you know, I'm going to change my entire life and, you know, cash out my savings and quit my job. And this is what I'm going to do. And as I got into it, um, I realized it's just not that simple. There's so much more that you need to do um, to become an IBCLC. Um, the, the creme, creme de la creme, as you, as, as um, we would say, as it relates to lactation. Um, and at some point I kind of felt like, why couldn't I get this information outright? Um, so there were some feelings that uh, was later brought to me about about that, but um, it didn't deter me. I think it made me move forward even stronger and to put things in place. I had the conversation with my husband, um, being the breadwinner, I was like, yeah, I'm walking away from the six figures. I'm, we're going to stop all this. There's going to be some changes in our household. And um, he was like, let's do it. If this is what you want to do and if this is what's going to make you happy, Let's make the changes and I fully support you. So definitely having his um, support. I remember telling my parents and they were like, that's a career. Um, I remember my uh, my pops was just super confused. Like, so lactation, like what, what actually are you going to be doing? Um, so being able to express to friends and family um, this shift in my life that was about to occur was interesting, ups and downs. Um, 
but I totally wouldn't have done it differently. And I think that when people see me now know that I am living and breathing in my passion. Absolutely. And that's something where it takes a lot of trust. It takes being able to communicate to your family, your partner, especially when you have children to kind of be on board with that type of shift. Because mm-hmm. Depending upon circumstances, it can be a big shift as far as the length of time that it takes you to get to whatever your desired credential is within the field. And then just kind of changing up um, the different bandwidth that you have. So if we're used to working with like numbers and data and maybe not direct face-to-face contact with clients and the emotional bandwidth that comes with a new mom or parent and things like that. It's, I mean, it sounds like you really almost did like a 170, maybe not quite a 180, but. (laughs) You know, I did and I love it. I love it. I mean, we are multifaceted people, right? And so we're able to shift and bloom um, in many different places. And uh, this is my time right now to bloom in lactation and I'm here for it. Love it. So you mentioned that it was very convoluted, which I feel like that's the general consensus of learning how that an <laughs> IBCLC. Um, so share with us what pathway you went and kind of what made you um, choose that selection. So I went pathway three. So all of the research that I was um, learning about and gathering, um, I was like, well, man, this is, I want to, I really want to make sure that I have the best knowledge and the the best skill set to support the clients that I want to support. Like I want to be the best of the best. And so I was like, I'm going to go pathway two. I'm going to go to a school. I'm an engineer. I, I thrive on school. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. And then I started looking at the woefully small amount of pathway two programs that are out there. And I'm like, well, we just can't move to North Carolina. We just can't, you know, how, how is this going to work? Um, And so I stumbled across the University of San Diego's program um, and I was actually um, accepted and uh, planning to make that work. Um, As I stated before, my undergrad is in Arizona State University. So Facebook and Big Brother and Google and all of their um, uh, listening devices uh, started showing these ads for ASU's um, lactations uh, program. And I was like, "Hmm, let me just, you know, let me just look into this. It was a pathway three program. but they uh, allowed me the opportunity to get the last 40th, 40-ish um, hours that I needed for the 90 hours of lactation-specific education from the CLC program. And then they matched you with mentors. The only caveat is they had just started the program and you had to be in Phoenix. And I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, and I was like, oh, well, I'm quitting my job. So there's no really real reason that I need to be in Texas. So... I can make this work. My parents still lived in Phoenix. My husband is from Phoenix and his um, his family was in Phoenix. So I said, you know, free childcare. I lived in Phoenix for 10 years. I can make this work. Silly me thought that we could just pick up and uh, do this over the summer uh, for three months. I can work like crazy and get these hours. And um, that's not exactly how it happens. Um, but that is how I did my hours. Um, Because I was an ASU alum, I got a discount on the program. It was significantly cheaper than attending the University of San Diego's program. Um, I still would have had to work out childcare uh, if I attended the University of San Diego's program. And I believe I would have had to find a place to get the 300 hours that I needed. Um, And it was during the pandemic. So there was some discussion about um, virtual and not virtual. Uh, But I, I, 
the program that I attended at ASU was simply amazing. I had five IBCLCs that I got to shadow and work underneath. I got hospital experience. I worked um, at a pediatrician's office who's known for um, tongue and lip releases. Like the the type of training and mentorship that I got has unmatched. And I'm still uh, in contact with a couple of those ladies that I shadowed uh, while earning my clinical hours. I love that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And with it being a newer program, I don't think it's something that is well known, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you sharing some information and some insider knowledge as far as what that setup looks like, as far as like length of time, the very type of mentorship that you have available, having access to five different IBCLCs, being able to work in different mm-hmm. settings. Because without being able to be an IBCLC, you generally don't have the opportunity to go work in a peds office or to go work in a hospital. And so you may in your head feel like this is the route that I want to take. And then you get there and you're like, oh, wait. (laughs) But being able to test it out (laughs) allows you to have more insight of kind of what path you want to start with essentially in the beginning. Because a lot of us are like, I'm not going that way. I'm not going that way, but I've never actually tried it within this role. So how am I sure that that would not be a good fit? So I think that if people are listening and they're trying to figure out a pathway three type of option, look into it. I'll include some resources in the show notes for you all as well. Excellent. And since then, the program is expanding and, you know, we're even having discussions of having a satellite program in the Dallas-Fort Worth area um, because not everybody can pick up and, and move to Phoenix for five or six months to get clinical hours. Like that is that is completely unrealistic. Um, and so we need to be able to actively provide these types of opportunities to better support our field. Absolutely. And so I was going to ask, what was the biggest challenge or hurdle in progressing to become an IBCLC? But that sounds like it could have been it. <laughs> And so if you had to guess, you live down in Texas, how many Black IBCLCs would you say are currently in the state to your knowledge? Now, this is a really difficult question. Texas is a very big state. I mean, I would say maybe 100. Um, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I could probably name six to seven off the top of my head. I know Houston is a large metropolitan area, but I may only know three or four. Um, and not to say that I know every IBC, IBCLC, black, white, purple, and different, um, but that's also a thing in our field. There's enough collaboration. There is more kind of, um, this is my area. This is my thing. Yeah. I don't want to care. Absolutely. Absolutely working in silos. And I think there's there's improvements that I see coming. So groups like the Future of Lactation are huge for that, to be able to get a mm-hmm. sense of who's around you because other people are joining and you may not kind of realize that they're there in your same state. And then also Nikki and Nikki having those um, co-working spaces and opportunities to kind of um, look at the directory to see who's in your vicinity as well can be helpful. But in general, I just wish that Ibl would keep track (laughs) of that type of demographic information. And I have a, a, a feeling as to why they don't do that because they'll, it'll, you know, put a highlight on blind spots as far as like diversifying the credential, but either way, <laughs> right. I've been starting to ask that question because I think it's, we can say that we're, you know, one or 2%, but when you really get it down to numbers, like up in Indiana, I mean, there's maybe six or seven of us out of maybe 400 IBCLCs in total in the state. So I wow. can imagine how many are in total. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something like 3,100 IBCLCs registered 
Um, and I would say maybe a hundred and yeah. And even, you know, um, IBC, IBCLCs that aren't of color, you still get some of that, that silo working, mm -hmm. but in the County that I live in, there were 33,000, um, live births. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no reason for us to be working in silos. Exactly. There's not a shortage of babies. There's probably no. a baby born, right? <laughs> and so you, you mentioned having experience working in a hospital, working at a peace office. <clears throat> Excuse me. Share with us kind of since becoming an IBCLC, what are the different settings that you currently work with in the field? I know you have a private practice. So fill me in on the name of that and kind of why you decided that route and any additional um, things that you do. Yes. So I do have a private practice. It is called Mother's Magical Milk. So we have a physical office and then we do the occasional home visits. So prior to really getting my business off the ground, I thought that I would just be doing home visits um, and I was OK with that. Um, but being able to be in Phoenix for that amount of time and shadowing these different IBCLCs, two of them that um, I actually worked with at the pediatrician's office had private practices part time. So um, just the like, oh, I never thought of having an office or I never thought that I could even work in a pediatrician or OBGYN's office. Um, so all these things, I mean, the sky is really the limit. Um, so here I have a private physical building and then I do uh, the occasional home visits because honestly, I don't like driving around that much. <laughs> I try to reserve my home visits for um, less than two weeks old. And if there's some extenuating circumstances, I had a mom that had um, a third degree tear. I mean, she's not getting out and about like, um, so those are types of situations that um, I typically uh, save my home visits for. Got it. And, and I love that I'm hearing more people are leaning into getting an office. It's something that I've had in the back of my brain to eventually do, but now it's kind of moving forward now that I'm like, okay, <laughs> the ease in which just being able to fit more people in, being able exactly. to control the cleanliness and, you know, different things like that. The travel time, gas prices are still crazy. So crazy. yeah, definitely coming further into the forefront of my mind. Um, Do so it. Share me, yeah. Share with me any type of pros and cons that you would say as far as like having a physical location versus um, doing like say virtual or doing more home visits. Um, so pros, of course, being able to see more people at once. And um, so this is my company, but I still have a young family and a husband. So there are some times when I have like a, a 6 p.m., someone who is working and can't get in, you know, my husband and kids will be in the waiting room having dinner. Um, my, you know, being able to use the space for other things. Uh, we have a, a postpartum counselor, licensed professional counselor that's in the office uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So it all ties into the clientele that I, that I see. In my waiting room, um, I have um, a, a lady who's going to be doing couples um, CPR classes. So that directly fits with my clientele as well. So being able to build a sense of community um, to really affect positive change in the community that I live in and that I serve. Definitely all the all the pros. Um, Cons, I mean, you have to pay the, you have to pay the rent. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, sometimes in lactation, it's feast or famine, um, but, but you still gotta, you still have to pay the bills. So that is definitely an expense that you have to consider. Um, I don't know of any, I think the flexibility of being able to go to home visits is, is definitely um, a pro. Um, cons, I live in a very spread out 
uh, Metroplex. So even though I have a specific area, I've had people call for over an hour away. I'm like, will you do a home visit? It's like, I will not, um, but I can refer you to someone else. It's like, well, we really want you to come. Um, I recently became in network with an insurance company that only has, I don't know, two people in our, in our Metroplex. And so I had a a family there 52 minutes from me and I'm like the, my fee to come see you. I like, I don't even want to charge you that. And they're like, we we don't care, whatever you can do. Um, So it's, it's a balance, but I have to say, I really enjoy having my own office, my own space, my own area versus um, the limitations of traveling, doing home visits. Yeah. And and that makes sense. Again, you mentioning that you have a young family. I too also have a, a younger little one that's really like in school age, but having that flexibility to be able to go and pick him up from school or to be able to go and if he left something and I need to run it up to a school real fast or, you know, being able to really have control and then also being able to have that space where if you can't join them for dinner at home, they can come join you essentially. In the yeah. Bathroom. And then also thinking about, you know, the expansion of not just only having your specific services, but trying to see what are some additional services that parents can benefit from and have that in your location. So, I, I mean, I think that's genius. Yeah. And it helps to pay the bills. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So with that in mind, have you gotten into kind of a firm type of structure for your schedule? Like you have certain days where you do admin, other days that are only designated for any home business that you do do, any type of structure to it? I do. So I try to only see clients on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and then on Wednesdays is the only days that I do home visits. Um, now, I do have the uh, exception every now and then. Um, my son is three, so he's not in school um, full time. So on Thursdays, I like to hang out with him. We'll go to breakfast or um, like a, a play museum. So I do try to kind of keep Thursdays for him. Tuesdays are supposed to be my CEO day. So taking all the calls, trying to get caught up on things. Um, I would say it works about 80% of the time. I I think of Miss Michelle Clark when she's always kind of talking about how she has these schedules. And then when she doesn't stick to her schedule, how she is upset with herself afterwards. And I can totally relate. And I think I've also seen you post something similar. Um, And I struggle with, I have a hard time saying no, especially when I have someone who's calling with bleeding nipples, like they just want to feed their child. And I know that I could probably really help them in 30 or 45 minutes, um, which is admirable. But at some point saying yes to a client is saying no to Denise or my family. And so- Really being able to balance that and um, (laughs) the CEO that I worked for at my last corporate gig, he always would say keeping the main thing, the main thing. Um, So you have to have that discussion with yourself. What is your main thing and keeping the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. And it's something that I'm still teasing out as far as what my, my kind of days of the week kind of have included in them. But I've been firm with Wednesdays being more of like recording days, admin days, taking myself off to coffee, connecting with other like doulas and stuff like that locally, therapy. So having those structures and putting it in my calendar is helpful because if I see an opening, <laughs> I'm going to fill it with something. But the filling yes. thing may look like Erica's personal time blocked out for two hours or whatever the case may be. So that way it reminds me that, hey, uh-uh. <laughs> 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 <Don't look back> <laughs> <counsel>. <laughs> 
but it's it's an exercise that I'm slowly getting better at and shout out to Michelle and I need to get that planner that she just recently put out for the primary parent um, I'll include that down in the show notes but I think having more structure allows you to be more intentional with your time like you being able to have that time to spend with your son consistently that he can look forward to it that you can look forward to it um, even when we're busy working for ourselves is being able to really see in real time that you're being able to um, spread yourself out in different areas without it sacrificing one or the other. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And so what is the few? I imagine that, I mean, with my work and the very type of chief complaints that I get, it can get really overwhelming, stressful comes to mind. Um, it seems like the range can run the gamut from one console to the next. One can be really joyful because somebody recently met their goal or finally got the baby to latch and the other is it's not going great. So how do you kind of manage or kind of fuel up or reset on those more challenging days? You know, that that's a great question. Um, I definitely pull on the ones that went really well. Um, the, oh my gosh, crying in the office, like the baby's latching, it doesn't hurt. And they transfer four, <laughs> four ounces. Um, but the ones that, I mean, I think I come home with the bottle refusals. Yeah. So those take a lot of time. And these moms obviously are waiting um, like a day or two before they have to go back to work. And I'm like, it's going to take a little bit <laughs> more than this. And, you know, seeing their frustration and their worry and the guilt and all these things and working through that, um, the population that we serve is, is so vulnerable and being able to meet these folks where they are, they're not sleeping. They're worrying about their, their infant, their child. Um, they could still be healing themselves. So really just being intentional about um, working with each client and focusing on each client situation. I will have to say, sometimes it gets really busy. I've had five or six uh, consults in a day, which zero stars, not recommended. Because when you get that many, you confuse baby with parent and symptom. Um, and I don't want that. I want when you come into my my office, into my place, you, you have all of me. Yeah. And then I can give you all of my attention and all of my education and experience and resources. Um, so to do that, I have to try to keep the schedule. I have to make sure that I refill, refill Tanisa's cup. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that I say to my clients, like you have this lovely new child or you have this new job that you're going back to. You have all these great things, but at the end of the day, you are the assignment. Make sure that you are taking care of you and putting your gas mask on first. Um, and then I have to go and take my own advice, which I hate doing, but it's a necessary evil. Um, so like you said, taking yourself out to coffee, um, having lunch by myself, um, um, it, you know, um, buying the the new pair of slacks that I want and then justifying it with the conference to attend or something. Um, <laughs> getting my hair done. Like I could certainly spend six hours putting mini twists in my hair, but but really let's pay someone else to do it. Yeah. Like yeah. these these types of things. Um, and it's it's very much easier said than done. And I continue to to work on that. But um a, I've realized it, and I know that I'm continuing to work on that. So making sure that I'm refilling my cup so that I can be 100% present when I'm working with my families. Absolutely. So for those of you you listening, if you have not taken a moment for yourself today <laughs> or this week or this yes. month or this year, this is your sign. <laughs> Put something in the calendar that is just for you. Again, we always like to kind of 
remind that it doesn't have to look like you going out and spending money, but maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe it's going to sit with a friend that you haven't been able to catch up with in a long time. Maybe it's sitting and watching a show that you want to binge watch. Maybe it's just sitting in silence. <laughs> Whatever it is, you have to prioritize doing that consistently because burnout in this field is very real. <laughs> very real. Have to be able to um, manage that and not kind of just try to speed ahead with the number of consoles. I learned from experience with doing like four or five, six consoles five days a week. I mean, that gets very tiring very fast. But you sometimes you don't realize that until you experience it yourself. And then you're like, okay, well, maybe some days I can do four and then I have a day off and then I'll do three. But it takes practice. So if you feel like you're not in your rhythm right now, give it time. <laughs> right. And so I'm curious on what has been a challenge working in the lactation profession that you did not anticipate prior to being in it? I would say twofold. So proving your valid validity with other healthcare providers um, and sometimes run running into parents. So for example, I had um, uh, a parent reach out to me last week. Baby is... Um, four months old and um, very slow weight gain. And um, the pediatrician has concerns and uh, told her to come see a lactation consultant, but also told this mom not to wake baby up at night to feed. Mm. So I'm like, well, how long is this baby sleeping? And she's like, oh, I mean, eight, eight, to, eight to 10 or 12 hours sometimes. And I'm just sitting here like red flag. This is why this baby's not gaining weight. Like we, this baby's hungry. We need to, we need to feed this baby. Um, so just the validity of kind of what you bring to the table with other healthcare providers, um, OBGYNs, maybe not knowing, but giving, uh, the depot shot right after delivery, um, th these types of things. And then other IBCLCs, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for the future of lactation group. But outside of that group, the audacity, um, or the coming for you or the microaggressions, um, gosh, it's just exhausting. It is just really exhausting. <laughs> uh, so I guess I never thought about having to deal with that in this field, but luckily, um, having experienced a lot of those same emotions and feelings being, um, oftentimes the only female, only black, only black female, um, in my corporate career. Yeah. Yeah. Very relatable. And so on the flip side of that, what has been a joy working in the lactation profession that you did not anticipate? Totally love my families. Um, the success, the um, the thankful tears, like you've helped us so much, like you've changed my life. I would have stopped by now. Um, and they're random. They're, they're not things that you... Um, necessarily expect you get these reviews and you remember them you remember the family you remember the issue you remember the the baby smile um and it's just it doesn't get better than that like i absolutely love what i do and it's an honor to serve families in the way that i do perfectly said so i'm going to toss in a new question here that you don't have access to yet but <laughs> I i'm curious on what does the name of my podcast, Loving, Leveling Up in Lactation, I think most of us kind of have some type of sense of what leveling up means, but I'm curious on what leveling up means to you. So every time I say leveling up in lactation, I hear the song level up, level up, level up, yeah. level up. <laughs> um, but it is, it, in my perspective, really raising the bar 
in the type of support that lactation professionals bring to communities and specifically our community, um, because it can be very hit or miss. It can be um, substandard and leveling up is, is bringing it to the next level. Um, so raising the bar and expectations and education in bedside manner and how we support um, women of color and families of color, um, because there's an extra hurdle that they have to jump over to achieve a um, rewarding breastfeeding or chest feeding journey. Um, and so when I think of leveling up in lactation, it makes me want to, if I'm sitting down, like sit up with good posture and, <laughs> you know, make sure that, um, that we are presenting the best and also creating an atmosphere where the next generation says, I want to do what you do. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Mic drop. That's, that's the goal of the podcast right there. <laughs> It's about elevating, right, the the type of uh, posture that you have, the type of integrity that you hold um, for this profession so that it translates to benefit parents, but also to spark other people to look on that are younger, that are kids to be like, I want to be a lactation consultant when I grow up, or I want to work in this field when I grow up, because this is the impact that it had on my family or that thing is having on my community. So perfect. Love it, Denise. <laughs> so one of my last questions for this portion of the show is your you mentioned being a newly um IBC same here essentially um for the people that just kind of crossed over if you will and became an IBCLC that started in January what would be a suggestion for those that are newly credentialed if they're like okay I got these letters what what am I supposed to do now what would be some words of wisdom so first of all celebrate yourself because <laughs> The whole process, right? Let's just celebrate yourself. Um, but then also strengthen your foundation. There is so much to learn from hormones to uh, galactagogues um, to counseling. There is so much to learn. And that's one of the things that really um, interests me about lactation. But also it's almost, it's almost like, oh, I don't know that much about that. So really strengthening your foundation on fundamental elements. Um, you don't have to spend a ton of money on SERPs. There's uh, tons of free resources out there. If you live in a city or a state that has a coalition, join that coalition, become active, um, you know, work towards... Um, the betterment of our profession in licensing. Uh, so insurance companies and other providers will take us a little bit more seriously and pay us our worth. Um, yeah, so first take a minute to congratulate yourself, take it all in, and then working on strengthening that foundation so that we can be the best for our clients. Perfect, perfect. So we are gonna mosey on over to our second portion of the show. We're just referred to as the letdown segment. So we have had stimulating conversations. These are going to be rapid fire questions and you're just going to let the answers flow. Are you Okay, ready? I'll try. <laughs> All right. So for people that are here in the next couple of weeks, if you could only use one resource to study from for the LBC exam, what would that be? Um, it is the uh, lactation education resources, the LER program. Yes. Agreed. If you knew being a lactation professional was a career option before having your children, do you think you would have been drawn to it? Mm, maybe, maybe not, but I'm really glad that it worked out the way that it does because now I have the passion and the energy to really drive and work towards it, which I might not have before children. Love that, love that. Do you feel becoming an IBCLC specifically was necessary to do the things you wanted to accomplish? Absolutely. Um, even though there's a lot of um, 
kind of segments of lactation professionals, everyone agrees that the IBCLC is is the gold standard. And I, I had to be able to operate from the gold standard. Yeah, it carries that weight. If you could only name one, what is someone within the profession that has had the greatest impact on your journey? I'm going to have to say um, Michelle Hoyta. She was one of my main mentors in um, Phoenix. Um, and the amount of the depth of knowledge and uh, bedside manner that I learned from her is um, unmatched. Perfect. Shout out to her. What is an app or a website that has been invaluable to you? You said an app or a website? Yep. Does Annie Frisbee's um, website <laughs> count? <Yes. laughs> Shout out to Annie. Yes. Question is, what is one word you would use to describe your journey? Phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Uh, please share with us how we can stay connected with you, any social media, website. How can we keep in touch? Yes. So we are on all the socials. Um, at Mother's Magical Milk altogether. Uh, you can email me at info at Mother's Magical Milk and our website is www.mothersmagicalmilk.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. I'll have all the information in the show notes as well as on the website and we will see you all next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Leveling Up and Lactation podcast. Three ways you can support this show Follow, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It takes three seconds. You guys can scroll on up and do that now if you're not following us already. You can share this podcast with your network on social media and newsletters and texts. This may be the pivotal moment that people are needing to give them that push to continue on in this field. And third, you can leave us a review. Please be very candid, be honest, so people get a sense of what the podcast is about, what, if any value it brought to your life and to your journey. People want to hear that. And then learn more ways to support and read more about all of our past guests at levelingupinlactation.com. Remember, as you work with families or if you're considering joining the field of lactation, it does not matter if your words are evidence-based, if your bedside manner is trash. Let's continue to level up. Until next time.